welcome to the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. I am your host, Elizabeth Heinemann, and I'm here with a co-host, a very special co-host. Elizabeth Woodson. And this month on Marked, we are doing a fun new mini-series all about Lifeway Women Academy. Each episode of this series, we'll talk to a Lifeway Women Academy teacher about her journey into theological education and how studying theology has marked her in her walk with Christ. And if you're interested in joining Lifeway Women Academy, if you're interested in learning how to study the Bible and teach the Bible in a flexible, affordable format, you can go to lifeway.com academy and enter the promo code MARKED for $10 off the registration of your first Lifeway Women Academy. Academy course. Now, Lifeway Women Academy courses are online courses for women by women. So when you sign up for a course, you'll gain immediate and indefinite access to teaching sessions from some of today's top theologians with deep dives into topics such as how to study the Bible for yourself, what we believe, and more. Plus, you can take these courses at your own pace and revisit the content whenever you'd like. You can learn more and discover current course offerings today at lifeway.com backslash academy. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Heinemann, and I'm here with my special co-host, Elizabeth Woodson. Hey. (laughs) And we are also joined today by Courtney Doctor. Hello, Courtney. Well, I want to say it like Elizabeth. Hey. <laughs> hey. I know. That was like way more cool than how so I did. Cool. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. I feel like um, she has such an excellent voice for podcasting, and I'm just like a little chipmunk over here, oh, like no. uh, talking in between. But you can uh, speed it up, maybe. But that would probably make me sound more like a chipmunk. I don't know if you can slow it down on my slow voice down. and then speed up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Courtney, tell us, you've been on the Mark podcast before, but give us a refresher. Tell us about yourself and your ministry and what it is that you do. I know some of that has changed since the last time you were on, so let's know. It probably has. Either that or I was kind of newly relocated. We uh, yes. we moved about a year and a half ago now to just south of Chattanooga, so we're pretty close to where you guys are, yeah. but we have been in St. Louis for 11 years and loved it there, but we're loving it here. We're kind of, you know, getting settled and doing all the stuff it takes to to sort of build roots and, and in a new community, but we love it. We are, I am, I've been married for 33, four years and <laughs> um, I'm trying to count. Um, and we have four adult children. So we're empty nesters. We actually have five grandchildren, which is so fun. It's hard to even explain how fun it is. So I'm borderline obsessed with them and love spending time with them. But we also have our darling dog, Walter, that I have to at least bring up, you know, mention (laughs) in every possible venue that I have the opportunity to speak. What kind of dog is he? Well, he's a Bernadoodle, oh, a big old, big so old Bernadoodle. Yes. He's so cute and he's so funny and so fun. So we're just having a great time with him. I uh, fill my days. Most of my days are spent. I work for the Gospel Coalition. I'm the director of women's initiatives and love just kind of dreaming and thinking and uh, implementing ways to serve women in the local church, just like you guys do. And in the days or the hours that I'm not uh, working for the Gospel Coalition, I write and I teach and I love it. So that's that's how I fill my days. Love it. Well, 
um, you're here because you taught part of the New Testament uh, mm-hmm. survey course. I was like, what is it called? New <laughs> Testament survey course. Um, and Elizabeth taught us well for that mm-hmm. course. And so um, we'll get to a little bit more about what specifically you taught in a little bit. But tell us your journey into tell, – tell us about your journey into theological education. Why did you decide to pursue a theological degree? Well, I'm a big fan of theological education, whether it's formal theological education or informal theological education. I think that as we, the life of the life of a disciple, the life of following Christ means that we want to grow up in our understanding of who God is and what he's doing and what it means for our lives and how we join him on mission. And the only way we're going to understand that is if we study his word, that's where he's chosen to reveal himself. And so, so Whatever means we use, whether it's formal or informal education, I think we're called to pursue a life of being educated and more and more knowledgeable about the word that he's given us. And so I was in my early 40s. I had been teaching. I've been been a Bible teacher um, for at least a decade and loved it. And then really it was my husband who first said, hey, I kind of think I should go to seminary. And for him, it was a 180 degree turn in life. He was in corporate finance. And as we started looking into it, we realized they offered at that time, Covenant Theological Seminary offered a spouse scholarship where the spouse could go completely free. Wow. And so we started pursuing that and just got confirmation from our mm-hmm. local church and our just our friends as, as we were praying and thinking about it. And the door just swung really wide open. And as I thought about it, I thought, well, what, you know, what degree, if I, if I feel called to teach, what degree is going to best help me do that? And so that's the degree I pursued. And my husband and I were in the same degree tracks. So we took all of our classes <laughs> together. And when we went, so we laughed, we literally sold the farm. We were living on 15 acres in Kansas. We sold the farm, moved to St. Louis. Our boys were both in college. They were freshmen and sophomore in college. Our girls were going into sixth and eighth grade. And uh, so it was a pretty, it was a pretty major life wow, upheaval. Yeah. But we all look back on it. It was very clear. It wasn't just a call on my life or even just a call on, you know, Craig's in my lives, but also our whole family. I mean, mm. it was it was the call to to pick up and move, and so it uh, it was a it was a joy. It came with a lot of a lot of struggles, but I wouldn't do anything differently. It was such a privilege to take three years and just sit and learn. It was, yeah, yeah that's awesome. I don't take it for granted. Yeah, I think that's just really beautiful to think about you and your husband doing it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I I. Went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and so most of my friends, it was either one or the other spouse. Mm-hmm. And there was every so often there'd be a few you'd see two together. And so kind of what extra joy or blessing or, like, fruit do you think was born because you and your husband <laughs> were able to do, go through the classes together? And I also want to know if it became a competition for grades. <laughs> yes. I mean, all those are such good questions. So, so we also did undergrad together, and we were not believers in undergrad. And so we laughed, and we were like, "There, is, sanctification is real. Like, this is proof. Because we are, by nature, very competitive people. The only thing I remember from our premarital counseling was the pastor saying, never 
never play on opposite teams, like on tennis or, you know, in tennis or whatever. And uh, we're just very competitive by nature. And so the fact that we could in our 40s go back and do the same degree and really rejoice in each other's giftings and he's better at it than I am. <laughs> he's an encourager, you know, he's like, oh, way to go. Um, and then the joys and challenges, I mean, I, we honestly stood out so much. So we're mm. older and we're together. And so there was a lot of just relational opportunities. Some of the guys in like the language classes, I remember they'd be like, hey, mom, are you making a study guide? You know, and I loved it. And I'm still in a relationship with mm. these much younger brothers that I got to go through class with. And, you know, now they're pastoring churches and we can have conversations about women's ministry or about, you know, Bible studies or it's just been really beautiful to see the the um, the relationships that came out of that, and I think the fact that that I was older in those yeah. spaces like mattered, mm-hmm. um, and so I I really loved that. As far as our marriage went, it was actually really hard. We went very. Um, thinking it was going to be this idyllic, we're going to be holding hands walking across <laughs> campus. And we were about three months in and I was like, we got to go to counseling. <laughs> this is hard stuff. So we had a lot to work through because, you know, we'd been living like parallel lives. Like mm-hmm. he's cheering me on doing my women's ministry stuff. And I'm like, hey, you're doing great over there. And then to be in the same space as mm-hmm. completely different. I mean, our no matter what tool you use to assess personality or giftings or or wirings we are always the mirror images we're polar opposites okay. and so it uh it was challenging but i'll tell you what those three years of like working through some of those it was like god just threw us in the furnace on that and then we went on staff together at a church and i just praise god that he gave us the time in seminary mm-hmm. to work through mm-hmm. that before we were on staff together at a church because it made a difference and so just even the hard things like the lord used it and his timing was perfect in that um to to really just undo us, remake us. I mean, it was a huge, huge piece of sanctification, huge part of sanctification (laughs) in our lives, for sure. Yeah, you know, I think the idea of being mere opposites, and so you kind of still have your own space, but then to have someone who's like, oh, like, we're doing Mm -hmm. the same thing, and then all that wonderful stuff that the Lord's trying to sanctify in us comes up in those Mm -hmm. moments. But y'all made it through. Which is we did. But I'll tell you one thing, Elizabeth, this year talking about that same space. So for some reason, the day we were moving to St. Louis, Craig decided we should go down to one car. We should go down to one car. (laughs) So we were in one car for the first three months. And then we're a couple months in and he is with me because we're driving home from seminary. He was with me as I'm getting my eyebrows waxed. And I was like, we're done. We're going to buy a second car. We're definitely buying a second car today. We got a second car. It's, like we, it's too close. Too like close. It's too much. Too much too overlap much. in space. Okay. Well, you taught Romans and Paul's letters. We're going back to the academy. Yeah. Though that is really funny. Um, but you taught Romans and Paul's letters to church leaders in our New Testament survey course. And both of those sections of scripture are packed with like memory verses that we may have memorized as kids or as young adults. And we're just like, we know them. We may or may not know where they come from, but we've like know them. And um, they also have a lot of theological issues that come up, things that are debated, things that are um, we just still may not fully understand. So how did you decide what to highlight in each lecture? Because you had one lecture on Romans and then one lecture on Paul's letters to the church leaders. So how did you decide what to highlight 
And Elizabeth, well, I'm going to ask you this in a part. second, too. So okay. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I wonder yeah. what Elizabeth said. I think she taught even some bigger sections yeah. than I taught. Um, it's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard to know what to highlight. And so I kept going back to just the purpose of the academy mm-hmm. is to help equip women to, to teach and to study God's Word. So uh, we wanted to stay with the understanding of what's the overarching point, like what's the Mm -hmm. big idea Mm -hmm. in these books? What is, and what was happening contextually in both historically, but the redemptive historical context, like what was happening at that particular moment, which really played out in the pastorals and Philemon. Mm -hmm. So, so for Paul's letters to church leaders, that would be the three pastorals, which are first and second Timothy and Titus, and then his letter to Philemon who hosted the church in his home in Colossae. And so uh, looking at the fact that God is establishing the church. And so this Paul just is like reiterating what sound doctrine looks like and that sound doctrine is going to produce sound churches and sound living. And then Philemon just shows us what sound living looks like, like how you live this thing out. So so just like showing us that, oh, this is the establishment of the church. Like this matters. And it's this passing down, you know, entrusted and trusted and trusted. And, and Paul says in one of... Um, one of the places I think in Second Timothy where he says, pass on to other faithful men that which you have been, you know, which you have heard from me who will also pass it on to others. And we looked at the fact in the academy that that's really capturing four generations mm-hmm. of this faithful passing on of sound doctrine. So there's Paul, Timothy, the people he passed it on to, and then the ones that they were to pass it on to. And so to realize like we're in that stream, we're in that flow of, of faithful passing on. So we're called to receive sound doctrine and we are called to pass on sound doctrine. So trying to stay with the big with the big picture. And so Romans, the same thing. You know, Paul is trying to, it's not just this this heady uh, systematic theology textbook that's disconnected from its historical context or from the people that were receiving it. It's this missions mobilization letter. Like Paul's saying, y'all have got to understand the gospel. You've got to be united on the gospel because we are going to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. And so that's what Paul's trying to accomplish in Romans. And so just trying to stay with that big picture and then looking at flow of thought, how Paul accomplishes that big picture in each of, in all of those different, um, different letters. Elizabeth, what about you? What did you you do. Yeah, I mean, it was alongside those same lines of how can I give people kind of this big idea or big picture because there's just so much content to cover. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you don't have time to get lost in the weeds because you want to use your time wisely. And so, yeah, I talked about the intertestamental period and really that being a part of history that many people aren't familiar with or don't really consider that there's space between the pages, so to speak, of the Old and New Testament. And so much of that history allows you to understand more of people's response to Jesus, um, what he was navigating during the time that he was here on earth. So kind of that he didn't just pop up in this random time and place, but just all of the different leaders that Israel would have been under and how they really wanted someone to come and rescue them um, from the rule that they were under at that point in time. And that's not what Jesus came to do. So it's like, I wanted to paint mm-hmm. the picture, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then you get into the Gospels. And again, you know, there's so much that's happening there. And to me, I want to highlight 
each of these authors had a specific focus. And you see them do that even in the way that they're writing. And so Matthew has all these Old Testament quotes because he's writing to a Jewish audience. And you don't see that with someone like Luke because Luke doesn't have the same audience. Mm. And so as teachers, helping um, our students... These are important things to pull out for your students as you're teaching the text. And so I wanted to model some of those things that I would want a good teacher of the Gospels to do and then mm-hmm. ask. And you just tell them the story of the first church. <laughs> and you see what the Holy Spirit does. And you see the Gospel expand from the Jew to the Gentile. And so to me, I, I like to paint the picture. I want to hone in on some key things that I think are going to be really valuable for someone to teach. And maybe if it's like, I can I can have a general understanding that maybe most of you have heard these particular things about this book, but I'm pretty sure you haven't heard this. Mm-hmm. And so I want to focus on the things that are you might not be as familiar with, all the while honing on that big picture, because I want you at the least to have an understanding of what the book is about. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Well, you and I are both, we both love the big picture. Come on, we? big picture. It's powerful. <laughs> <laughs> We're big picture girls. Yeah. <laughs> And Courtney, I I quoted you in my church um, a few weeks ago. I was leading in the prayer time, and I talked about how I used to not like Paul um, in the Bible, and I was just like, I just didn't like him because he Mm -hmm. seemed very bossy to me. He was constantly like, do what I do. And I was like, that just feels like (laughs) kind of prideful. And like, I was just like, he's constantly telling us what we're allowed to do and not allowed to do Mm -hmm. because in my mind, and I don't necessarily blame any teachers that taught me this, but in my mind, the imperatives were always um, separated out Mm. from the indicatives. And I was like, and it was really until I was an adult and probably till I was maybe even in seminary before someone pointed out that those go together. And so he's constantly telling us who God is, and therefore, this is what we do in response. Mm -hmm. But I think that often happens in Paul's letters because we do have all of these um, memory verses that we'll just memorize this one little verse and it tells us what to do or what not to do. Or we memorize this other verse that tells us who God is and we don't realize that they're connected. And so I think that's a very powerful thing. Like you're talking about Mm -hmm. getting this big picture of like, hey, here's the goal of this is not to be like, here's a list of do's and don'ts, but to show you who Jesus is, to show you what he's done for us, to show you who God is and what his character is like, and then show you, like you said, how to live it out. So um, I'm thankful for y'all's teaching on that because it's definitely something that helped me to kind of just further cement those together. And I think that's something that's helpful for women to hear if they're like, oh, New Testament, like, I've, I've been in church my whole life. I, I got the picture. I know what happens in the Gospels, <laughs> but it's like there's yeah. so much yeah. to still discover. I mean, because mm-hmm. the Word is living and active. And so, mm-hmm. and it's just helpful sometimes to hear it from a different perspective and hear yeah. that teaching of the big picture. So, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I love that. Now, with Romans and the letters of Paul, we have a lot of passages that we love to memorize. Yes. But then there's some, maybe just a few, maybe more than a few that are difficult to understand. And even some, like we've talked about before, that are contested. So people have different opinions on what these mean. And so, Courtney, what advice would you give to a teacher who comes to a passage that's either difficult or a passage that has several different views on terms of interpretation? How should they approach the study and teaching of those type of texts? Yeah, I love that because we definitely hit it in... um, in the Romans mm-hmm. Bible study that I wrote in, uh, 
in view of God's mercies. Uh, so, you know, Romans 9 through 11, again, very, they could be very controversial, hard sure. to understand, uh, don't really know what to do with it. And then in 1 Timothy 2, I think we come across one of the most debated and controversial <laughs> and so hard to understand yeah. passages. I mean, verses 11 through 15, just so, so hard. So what I said in um, in the video, I just said, you know, when you're when you come across these things that are so hard to understand or or you just don't like them, like what? That doesn't sound right. You know, Romans nine, there's some stuff in there that you're like, what that? How can that be? How does that fit into this whole story of, of who God is, this redeeming, pursuing, loving God, saving God? And so. I think we just have to keep a few things in mind. I think we have to, I think we have to remember to to be humble before mm-hmm. these verses and and to even as you study and wrestle and come to a conviction, come to a conclusion, to to hold it loosely and humbly in the sense that these are heavily debated for a reason. And so let's don't get tribal about them. Let's don't mm-hmm. let's don't start forming like walls of division over these things. That's not, it's not good and right. Uh, There are some things that we form, you know, uh, walls around like the orthodoxy of the gospel. You know, there are some things that we say, no, this, you know, but those, even those walls are for the purpose of, of evangelism. Like, Hey, that's actually not the gospel. You're actually not saved by good works, you know? And so, so those walls actually serve a greater purpose too. But um, like in the first Timothy two, passage, I said, you know, remember, like, this is this. So keeping, be humble, keep the whole counsel of God's word in mind mm-hmm. and in view. So in First Timothy 2, remember the other things Paul wrote too, right? This mm-hmm. is the same man who in Romans 16 affirms the ministry of all these women and calls them co-laborers. Like mm-hmm. he needs them in his work. He affirms the ministry of women. He's the one that in First Corinthians 11, he is assuming that women are going to be praying and prophesying. So, so don't just take this verse and pull it out and make some grand assumptions. Keep it in tension. Keep it in the context of um, of the whole counsel of God's word and and then be willing to not too quickly write off the hard passages as well, you know, that it's in scripture for a reason. It made the canon mm-hmm. for a reason. And so it's it's there to teach us and to instruct us in something. And so be self-aware enough to know, is this either, are you walking away from it because you don't like it? or because, you know, you just are still wrestling through it. And so I think that we can fall on on these hard passages on one of two extremes. Mm -hmm. I think we can make them the hill that we're going to die on, um, which is, again, just be humble. Like, I don't think that's a healthy response or we can... walk away from them and think, well, that's com- I, that's completely irrelevant and even give, you know, hermeneutical reasons why we think it's irrelevant when it's like, well, you got to be careful with that, right? Like yeah. we can't dismiss it and we can't build uh, an entire tribe around it either. Yeah. So, yeah. And I like this, this idea to kind of stay in this space in the middle, um, which we don't like because it's not always, it's, it's the tension. Um, and yeah. so it doesn't easily resolve, but also this image you gave of walls of division. Mm-hmm. And so how much of our interpretation of scripture through history, we've seen it create this, this not welcoming in, this not community that we're supposed to have, but it's division amongst Christians. Um, and so one of the tensions is that even in the disagreement, 
we all still hold to orthodoxy, which means we're all still members of this large family. So we might have yes. different corners in the room, but we're all still in the room. And how do we navigate that tension with things that we come to a different place on? And it's that we hold to this um, this ethic of love we see in scripture, this ethic of caring for one another as we have good biblical interpretation. Mm-hmm. And that's all place attention. And just by the power of the Holy Spirit, we got to hold both ends together. Mm-hmm. And I think something, too, that you touched on is, like, holding it kind of loosely. Mm -hmm. Because I think with things like this, like, I'm always reading something else. And I I admit I'm very easily swayed. So I don't have a problem changing my mind. But I do know that there there are people that will get and they've, like, worked it out and they've done the work. And they're like, okay, this is what I believe. So this is it forever. And there's just, we're always learning from it. Like we were talking about, the word is living and active. And it's something that it doesn't change. But sometimes we like, we'll read from another scholar that's like, oh, well, that's a very good point. And so trying to hold things loosely, not, um, not the core, like the gospel, but holding these other things mm-hmm. loosely to where we might change our mind, and that's okay, um, especially if you haven't already erected a wall that says everyone <laughs> on the other side of this wall is out. Yeah. Um, it allows you to to grow and to learn new things yeah. and maybe change your mind on a few things, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that we've talked about with other courses. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about that in the theology course, especially of just like, hey, sometimes I've discovered something new or I've like realized um, I've read, you know, a new scholar interpreting this in a different way. And I was like, oh, maybe I was a little too like gripping this a little too tightly. And maybe this is open to a different interpretation or a different viewpoint. Um, And so I think that's something to also keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, the word doesn't change, but right. we do. Right. God. And it's okay to have really strong convictions. It's yeah. okay to dig deeply. And, yeah. and really, it's just what we do with those convictions, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like we, those convictions are not meant to, if we can't be charitable with each other within right. the big family of God, within the tent, how in the world are we going to be charitable to those outside right. the tent? Yes. Um, so, yeah, I'm. I'm a big fan of just trying to approach those strong convictions, like you said, with the humility that, and I want to learn and grow and change, mm-hmm. you know, I might, I mean, I mean, come I, at me, try and change my mind on these things. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, this is just the I mean, I, I like Paul now. I used to not. So, you there know, you there's go. like <laughs> holding there some things go. a little loosely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. One thing that we're asking all of our teachers in this series, um, because we, you know, Life with Women Academy is taught by women for women. Um, So how can women specifically use their theological educations, whether that's like seminary training, that's self-taught, that is a Life with Women Academy course? How can women use what they've learned in their everyday lives as Mm -hmm. disciples and disciple makers? Yeah, I think that the more time we spend, I'm, I'm getting ready. Elizabeth knows this. I'm getting ready to teach on abiding in the word from John 15. So I've been thinking a lot about just what it means to abide in the word and have the word abide in us. So all of this that we're, that we're talking about, this idea of studying and learning and teaching and 
um, and growing in the Lord. This it's all kind of caught up in that word abide, right? We're mm-hmm. we're going to we're going to live our lives as women who study and seek to understand and apply the word first to our lives and then and then offer those applications um, to others. And so how can that not impact every moment of your day? I mean, it's going to change you. That is the life of discipleship, mm-hmm. actually, is, is following more closely. And we don't follow more closely until we know more what it looks like to faithfully follow. And so we have to learn and grow and study. And so this, this time that we spend learning, this time that we spend in the Word and and not just, you know, when I say in the Word, I don't just mean read a verse. I mean study the Word and, and in passages and in context. As we study the Word, not only are you going to see the ramifications in, in your life, and I'm going to see the ramifications in my life. I mean, like we've already talked about, sanctification is real. The Lord uses his word to sanctify us as we read it. And we experience either greater knowledge or conviction or something that we get to align our lives to. And then we obey it. That's So knowledge is not the end game. Obedience is the end game. And as we do that, we're sanctified, but it also has ripple effects and ramifications in the lives of those people around us. I mean, our throughout the story of scripture, the holiness of God's people, this idea is like, be holy as I am holy, which we know will never happen in this life. But this pursuit of righteousness, this pursuit of sanctification, I mean, there's a thousand different ways to say it, but it has always been meant for the good of the individual and the good of the community. And the the community are those within the people of God and the good of those without. My holiness, my righteousness, my abiding in the word, my sanctification, I mean, you know, these are saying the same things from different vantage points. It's actually good for my next door neighbors. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's good for my grandchildren. It's it's good for the woman in Target checkout that I get frustrated with because she didn't take my credit card when I handed it. I mean, like, you know, I mean, it's like, it's good that I was, that I'm less irritable than mm-hmm. I was five years ago. So these things have these, these ramifications. I don't know if that's actually answering your question, but the more we study and these things like Lifeway Academy that teach us how to faithfully study and understand the word are going to help us be better students, which is only going to help us um, in our pursuit of holiness and righteousness by God's grace. I love that. There's beauty in the depth, right? Mm -hmm. So this learning process invites us into the deep waters of understanding about God. But like you said, Courtney, this understanding produces transformation in us and produces worship. Mm -hmm. And the opportunity we have um, to impact the world around us. Um, And I know for some people that feels really big, but I'm a believer that nothing in your life is unintentional and that God has placed you with people, around people. And the more that I am becoming the person that scripture is trying to form me into, the better lives the people around me will lead. Because what we believe as Christians is we walk in this way of flourishing in shalom. And so if I'm just who I am, which means I'm walking in this way of shalom. I'm bringing that to the people and community around me. And we do it until Christ returns and he will do it perfectly. Um, But there's so much opportunity for us to experience blessing, but to be a blessing the more we dive into the deep waters, like you've said, Courtney. What a beautiful way of saying that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, this is the March podcast. It's a very special episode of the March podcast. <laughs> and this is actually the last in our series. So I'm actually going to ask Elizabeth this question and then you this question, Courtney, and we'll end on your answer. But how has studying theology marked you in your walk with Christ? Uh, uh, I Part of my, my journey in studying theology comes from being um, just younger and having this deep belief that there was more to my Christian faith than what I was being offered and experienced. So I was just really hungry um, to learn more. And, and I think as an opportunity as God has provided me to delve into those deep waters, you have just been overwhelmed by the beauty of who he is and the beauty of the goodness of life that he offers us. And so to me, that's marked me in the seasons of life that have been difficult for me, the valley seasons, and knowing that, Elizabeth, in this place, there's still hope. There's still joy. There's still something for you to look forward to, like these things that I might have heard preached on or I might have read in a book suddenly become real and tangible to me because of the work that I've done. And so I've just seen it bless me. I've seen it lift me um, in seasons of life that were not easy, but also being offered those words of encouragement to other people. And just I'm overwhelmed by the depth. And like, I want everybody to be overwhelmed by it because to me, it's been life-changing and just really the perspective I have for living life, um, which to me is just, obviously I'm here. I could talk about this forever. <laughs> but, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Courtney, how has studying theology marked you in your walk with Christ? Yeah, I feel like I'm going to say almost the same thing, mm-hmm. just using maybe different words. But, you know, as, I've, as the more I study, the more that I see this faithful, pursuing never-ending love of God that is that is just chasing after his people. I think that's like some worship song, but that's what it feels like. Like he is just, he is just pursuing us. And you see it through the whole story of scripture, like rebellious people, wicked people, uh, people like me, and he comes after us. And so, and it's all based on this, this love that he has for us. And so as I study that, I mean, my love for him increases for sure. Like, how can I not love a being that is so much greater than me and yet knows me and knows all the, you know, the, the warts, the ugly, the bad and loves me? Of course, I'm going to love this person, but it also helps me them. And I think, Elizabeth, this is what you were saying like rest in his ways. Mm -hmm. So his ways are not always easy. He is always good, but his ways are not always easy. And so as I study, I realize, oh, but his ways that he tells us pretty early in the story, like, hey, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. Like they are higher than the heavens are than the earth. Like that's how much greater they are. And then you, you live out your life and you're like, oh yeah, your ways are definitely not my ways. Like that's not (laughs) how I would have done that. And your thoughts, they are not like my thoughts. But as I, as I study, I'm like, but they really are better. They really Mm. are greater. And so even when I don't understand, it's like, I can rest because you are this infinitely greater being who is so 
your whole relationship with me is based in love. Like you're so for me. I always, I know on several of these things, I keep mentioning uh, Romans 8.32 because when I was writing the Romans study, it just stuck with me that he who is not, he who has given us his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And it's this argument of from the greater, he's given us the greatest thing. How's he, he's, of course, he's going to give us the lesser things. Like, of course he is. He loves us. He loves us. So it helps me rest and trust. I love that. Elizabeth. Yes. How about you? <laughs> I I think I kind of echo a little bit of both of yours. Um, so my theological, like my degree is in biblical counseling. Um, and so just the ways that it has helped my own sanctification as I've worked through some, like a big, a big thing in my life has always been fear and anxiety. So as I worked through how to counsel people yeah. through fear and anxiety, um, it was like counseling myself and kind of like what you're talking about, Courtney, and just his ways are higher than my ways. And I can kind of rest in that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that um, it took until like my seminary classes for me to realize is that Philippians 4 is all one passage together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just one of those things where I had memorized, you know, Philippians 4, 8, the whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, and think on these things. And I had memorized, you know, rejoice, um, this, what is it? Now I can't even think, but um, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then separately, let your petitions be made known to God. Mm -hmm. Do not fear or be anxious for nothing. Let your petitions Mm -hmm. be known to God. And, um, I'm getting that all mixed up. So if you're following along in your Bible, just know that <laughs> I have never been able to memorize it in order. <laughs> but I got I got the gist. That's the gist. But it um but yeah, so once I like put those together in my mind and it took a seminary <laughs> class yeah. to do that, I was like, "Oh, we don't have to be anxious because we can make petitions to God and he is working things out for our good and um which may not always look like like you were saying, Courtney." It won't look like what we thought, um, but it is good, and we can trust in that, and we can make petitions to him when we think what we think is right, but he always has something better for us, Um, and then just that's why we don't have to be anxious. We rejoice in everything, and instead of those anxious thoughts, we think about what is true, what is pure, what is holy, what is admirable, and so it's something that that class taught me to just ask whenever I start feeling anxious— what is true. Mm-hmm. And that's where all the other classes come in because you're thinking through all of scripture. What do you know from scripture? What yeah. is true about God? He is good. He is wise. Mm-hmm. He loves us. He is faithful. And he will work things out for my good. And I can trust in that because of who he is. And so I think just like putting all of that together yeah. was something that is invaluable. And um, at the time that I went to seminary, I kind of shared this a little bit at the beginning as I went for no no real reason. I just didn't have anything better to do with my life. And so I went and I think in that moment when I was like taking these classes and seeing all this put together, I was just like, if this is it, if this is the only reason I was here, mm-hmm. it's worth it for me to be able to just my own sanctification, my own worship, my own like resting mm-hmm. in who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love it. I love what y'all said, but I think it's um, it's cool to hear people's answers because they all kind of have little reflections of each yeah. other, but they're all like personalized in a way. And so I just love that about our God and about the word. Like it won't return void. It's going to be good yep. <laughs> to study Every it. Time. So yeah. yes, I um, 
I love it. I love talking theology with y'all, um, with these two women who are very smart. And we would love for you to take our New Testament survey in Lifeway Women Academy. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it's the two of you teaching as well as Eunice Chung and Jen Wilkin. And so it's a it's a great survey to just see, trace God's hand throughout the whole New Testament. Um, but yeah. So I guess so much that, fun to be a part of it. That yes, really, thank you. Really an honor. Yeah, yes. thanks for having me. So thank you, listeners, for listening to this special series. This is our last episode in the Academy series. Um, and thank you, Elizabeth, for co-hosting with yes, me. Yes, thanks for having me. <laughs> and thanks, Courtney, for coming on and talking Paul and his letters with us. And yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> we would love for you listeners to be a part of Lifeway Women Academy. Like I said, you can go to lifeway.com slash academy to sign up. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Jazzy Liz and at ED Hyman. Use the hashtag marked podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at lifewaywomen.com slash podcast. And you can learn more about Lifeway Women Academy at lifeway.com slash academy. If you love the show, leave us an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to connect with us. See you next time.